Now you can uh, tell by looking around that this is the first Sunday of Buckner's Buddies. This is something we've done now for many, many years, thanks to the creativity and leadership of uh, Reby Lawler and Betty Ann Grice. It's a wonderful ministry. And uh, during this whole month, we're going to be emphasizing the ministries to children. And they're seated here. They're deacons this morning and uh, deaconesses this morning. And they're leading in scripture and prayer. Speaking of prayer, I want you to take note of the fact that this is something I want you to take with you, to take home. The prayer calendar for January to remind us of various things to pray for, plus the things in your own list and the concerns you have in your own heart. Ryan Dalton is going to lead this in the reading of God's Word, and Courtney Morgan is going to lead us in prayer. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands upon them. Please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing all of us safely together here in this holy place. As we start a new year, Help more people to learn about your love and your forgiveness. Thank you for always having time to listen to each of us. Teach us to love one another more and more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Heard about a fellow who had an identity crisis and an energy crisis at the same time. He didn't know who he was and he was too tired to find out. You may feel a little like that uh, today. It is my hope and prayer that the service, which has been such an inspiration to me up to this point, as I'm sure it has to you, and the words that we share now uh, will help us know more about who we are and what we're to be, to not only help us understand our identity, but to have a fresh infusion infusion of energy. Uh, did, you, uh, did you open all your Christmas presents? Did you really open all your Christmas presents? Did you, all those things that had your name on it, did you open them? In all probability, you think you did. And maybe you did. Although I imagine there may be some in this room who still have a gift that's been given to them that they've not yet opened. Beautifully packaged, priceless gift. God's gift to you. The gift of his own son. And has your name on it. Not just for everybody, it's for anybody. It's for you. Have you opened that package and let him into your life? Have you opened that package of God's gift to you and let him become a part of your living? It is my hope and prayer today 
that if you have never accepted the gift in your heart, that you will do just that. Why do people, why, why do people not open the package? They know about it. They hear about it. My goodness, we've just passed through a season of the year in which Christmas carols and Christmas messages and music and even advertising the name of Christ just everywhere. And yet there are those who have not yet opened that package. Why? Why do some not let him in? I think there are those who don't uh, do it because they feel like they don't deserve it. I just, I'm just not good enough for this. I just don't deserve it. Well, you're right. You are exactly right. We don't deserve it. Not any of us deserve it. It's a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we attain by our own religious or moral activities. It's a gift. Gift of God. Which is why I've said and say again and need to repeat that I believe that religion, religion is probably in America today the largest enemy of Christianity. Now that may sound paradoxical to you, even contradictory. Religion is the enemy of Christianity because religion says, in a way, you, you don't deserve God's salvation. You don't deserve God's gift. You don't measure up yet. And until you do this and do this and do this and not do this and attend this building and participate in this worship service and participate in this ritual, then you don't get it. We control it for God. And unless you live up to our expectations and our requirements, then you don't get in on the goodness of God. Religion is the major enemy of Christianity. Saying that you've got to do something to deserve the gift that God has given you. Religion is external. Christianity is internal. It is something that Jesus Christ does when you open that package of God's gift to you and he comes to live in your heart and in your life. He changes your life from the inside out. You will never change your life from the outside in. Any more than you're going to get a new foundation on your house because you paint the outside of the house. You can put a new coat on it every week. And if the foundation is crumbling, the house is going to fall. And it's the same way with our moral lives. We can keep putting the moral paint of religiosity on the outside. But unless we have a new heart and a new life and a new foundation, our lives will crumble and fall as surely as Jesus prophesied in that passage of scripture at the conclusion of his sermon on the mount. Not deserve it. There are others, I think, that miss the gift because they don't perceive it. They do not act in faith upon what God has given in his son, Jesus Christ. Let me read you a passage of scripture, a marvelous passage from the first chapter of the gospel of John. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. In him was life, and his life is the light of men. 
There are those, I believe, who do not perceive the nature of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. Let me try to illustrate this. Uh, Suppose I go down to the zoo and give this, this Bible to a gorilla in the cage down there. He'll take it and it's a physical thing to him, nothing more. And he will have a physical perception of this book. That's all. He won't know it's a book. No telling what he will do with it. He may eat it. He may tear it up. He may throw it away. He has a physical perception of this book. Okay, I give this same book to a 15 or 16 year old student or to a 40 or 50 year old businessman or businesswoman and they can pick it up and they can open it and they can read it and they will have because they can look on the page and they can see these little marks on the page. Those little marks are letters and you put enough of those letters together and you got words and those words stand for sounds and those sounds stand for ideas. They can read. You can read and can have an intellectual perception of this book. But if we do not see behind the symbol to the substance, if we do not see behind the words to the word, we will not have a spiritual perception. An enlightenment. In him was life. You have life. You have life enough to know that this is a physical object. You have intelligence enough to know that you can read it. In him was life. We have this life. We have a physical life. We have an intellectual life. And there are millions of people who think that's the extent of life. That if you just have the physical and the intellectual, then you have the sunum bonum of life. You have plenty of food, nice home, cars, all the physical things that you want. You go to school, you have an education, you're able to make a good living, you can read, you're an intelligent, educated person. That's it. That's life. No, it's not life. It's not life until we let that life that's been given to us through God in Jesus Christ be our light until we have enlightenment. Then we have no resource for dealing with the darkness that comes in the physical part of our lives. We have no enlightenment that will help us in those intellectual times of doubt and stress and pain and sorrow. So it is essential that you and I individually move beyond the physical, which is childlike, move beyond the intellectual, which is wonderful and commendable, but is not what God has come to do in Jesus Christ. He has come to enlighten us, to put a light within us and all the darkness of the world, the physical darkness of the world, the intellectual darkness of the world can never overcome that light. Spiritual perception. And how does that happen? It happens by a simple act of faith. A simple act of faith to say, I trust you, I accept you, I invite you into my life, into my heart. And you don't have to look very far and you don't have to look very long to find that people who live just on the physical and intellectual level of life 
are going down like personal titanics. Well, when you do have this enlightenment, when you do let the light, you have life, and when you let that life, this God's life in Christ, become your light and enlighten you, what are the results? Well, the first thing you'll have is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with God. Not just a religious one, that's fine. If religion is an outward expression of an inward faith, it's marvelous. If it is a substitute for inward experience, it is diabolical. If it is a barrier, if it is a barrier to a personal relationship, it is evil. You have a personal relationship with God. Not just a physical understanding of the fact that this man Jesus lived and not just an intellectual understanding of the fact that he was a historical figure. You have him enlightened in you. Energizing you. Throwing light upon your pathway. Have a personal encounter with God. Personal relationship with God. How do the Greeks define God? How did the Greeks define God? They defined him in Greek metaphysical terms. They defined God as uh, omnipotent, which he is. Uh, omnipresent, ever-present, which he is. Omniscient, all-knowing. These great, big, philosophical, metaphysical words. Omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. That's how the Greeks define God. And that's how some people today define God. That's the limit of their definitions of God. Well, how did the Hebrews define God? The Hebrews define God in terms of people. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He is the God of this select group of people. He's a God who cares about ethics. He's a God who cares about Pharaoh hurting people and wanting to deliver people from that kind of slavery and servitude. He's a, God is defined in terms of people, in terms of persons. And that's true. The, the Greeks are right, but inadequate. The Hebrews are right, but inadequate. God is not only a God of persons. God is a God who came in person. In Jesus Christ. And we will never know God in his fullness and in his glory simply by being able to define him metaphysically, to define him in terms of ethics and trying to make the world better and trying to help people get better. It's all wonderful. I commend that. I'm all for it. And I'm involved in it, but I'm involved in it because I know that God has come in person and he is the energizer.
And he is the only energizer that never loses his energy. Ever. He is a God who wants to be a personal friend to you. Have you opened a package? Is that kind of God living in you? This God in Christ, Jesus Christ, the enlightening power of God through Christ in you? What do you do? Well, open the door. Many of you have seen copies. You've seen the original. I've seen one of the two originals. One is in St. Paul's in London of Holman Hunt's famous portrait at the light of the world when Jesus is standing outside the door, knocking on the door. And if you look at that picture closely, as I'm sure you've seen it and have heard other preachers tell you about this all your life probably, if you look at that, that painting of Jesus knocking at the door, as the scripture says, when Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and live with him. If you look at Holman Hunt's painting, you will notice that there is no latch on the outside of the door. The latch is on the inside. The latch is on the inside of your heart and my heart. He knocks, but he doesn't knock it down. He knocks but he doesn't kick it down. He knocks, I open. And the life I have is suddenly infused with light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. When that happens, we change your attitude. We change your attitude Remember how the shepherds left after having that personal encounter with God? They left doing what? Rejoicing. They left rejoicing. In one uh, concordance, uh, you probably know what a concordance is. A concordance is a great big old book, an unabridged one. You need a wheelbarrow to carry them in usually. Uh, you can have them on computers now, of course. Uh, but they're these, all the words in the Bible are in this concordance. If you want to look up the word faith, for example, you can look in there and there'd be hundreds of references to faith and they'll categorize them some. But in one, in one concordance, there are 287 references to joy or laughter or merriment or celebration. 287 times in the New Testament God said, I want you to know joy and joy and peace and happiness and hilarity and laughter. The shepherds knew that because they knew light had come to them through this new life. Clovis Chapel, an outstanding preacher, once wrote, no one should preach or teach in such a way as to send people away on flat tires. Discouraging sermons, he said, are wicked sermons. Wicked, they are. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote in his diary a rather laconic statement. He said, I went to church today 
and did not feel discouraged. It was a rarity for him. Pray it will never be that in this church. That people will leave here energized to say with the power of God and the Lord, leadership of the Lord in my life, I can, I can mount up with wings as eagles. I can run and not be weary. I can walk and not faint, not because I'm strong, but because he is, and he is enlightening me, and his light is in me to guide me and to lift me and to energize me and to make me sufficient for all of the vicissitudes and exigencies of life which may come my way. Some of you are old enough to remember Fred Allen, the old radio comedian. Uh, how many of you remember hearing Fred Allen? Oh, good. That's a lot. He was on in the, I remember hearing him in the 30s. Um, what a oh, nasal twang. You remember that? Our nasal twang talk. And uh, Fred Allen once said, said, there was a coastal town, a town on, the, on a bay, I don't know that he referred to the name of the town, but it was a, like down at the coast, a coastal town. And he said that that town was so dull and so boring <laughs> that one day the tide went out and never came back. <laughs> I don't know why. It really amuses me. But, uh, it... Uh, what an insight. What a comedian. Boy, I wonder if that happens in church. Dull and dreary and lifeless and people go out and never come back. Change of attitude happened to the shepherds and the change of actions happened to the shepherds. I mean to the wise men. They went home a different way. And every preacher that's preached any length of time at all has preached a lot of sermon on going home a different way. I have. The wise man did go home a different way. Herod told them to come back, you know, and they said, we're not going to do it because God warned them and they went home a different way. Change of action. Not only a change of attitude, but a change of action. Now, action begins by a change of attitude. I told this story to you a few years ago. i repeat it again. It's... Uh, happened a number of years ago. I went on a Saturday evening, late one Saturday evening, nine or 10 o'clock, to take, I don't even remember who it was, to take a friend to the airport. And it was dreary and cold and beginning to rain. I went out there and parked in the short-term parking and uh, got him in there and told him goodbye and went back out and got in my car to leave and go home. And... Uh, when I got up there to the toll booth to pay my toll, uh, which at that time cost 50 cents for the 15 or 20 or 30 minutes I was there, I didn't have a dime. I mean, I had nothing. And I, I said, sir, uh, I don't have any money. Can you take credit card? He said, no, I think they do now. But they, they didn't then. Uh, he said, no, we don't. I said, well, I owe you 50 cents and I don't have, I don't have anything. I said, uh, I'll leave my watch with you or whatever, you know, to prove that I'll come back and pay you. He said, no, it's okay. Go ahead. 
So I left. Getting colder and wetter, and I got home, and I'd been there about 15, 20 minutes. Oh, when I got there, Martha had said about 15 to 20 minutes ago, there was a call from Northeast Baptist Hospital from a family. A family member is critically ill, and they'd like you to come to the hospital. So I got in the car, went out to the hospital, was there for I don't know how long, 45 minutes, an hour. Got back in the car and started home, colder now, raining. I impatient to get home to try to, you know, fine-tune the sermon for the next morning. Saturday nights are not a restful night for preachers. Uh, and I got to think about that 50 cents I owed that guy at the airport. And my mind began to work on me. I began to do what some of us can do, you know, with efficiency. I began to rationalize. Good night, Bugner, 50 cents. You're not going to miss that 50 cents. And you've been ripped off before. You've been overcharged. You deserve, you deserve that 50 cents. It's not that important. The guy's probably already gone home forgotten about it. So I went back to the house and tried to kind of put it out of my mind. I went in the little room at home where I tried to study some and, and uh, I was back there and every time I got to think about that sermon, I got to think about that 50 cents and I kept going through the rationalization again. Bogner, it doesn't make any difference. You can take it by tomorrow. It's late and it's cold. You know how you pamper yourself? You got to preach tomorrow, Bogner. You need some rest. You don't need, you might get a cold <laughs> if you get out in this kind of weather. You go through all those gymnastics and I, after a while, the more I started trying to think about it, that 50 cents just kept looming up in front of me. Oh, and I said, Martha, do you have 50 cents? <laughs> she said, yeah, I do. What in the world for? I said, well, I'll explain when I get back. It, just let me out of here. <clears throat> I took the 50 cents and went out there and I thought the guy won't even be there and it was raining harder. And I didn't pull in to park because I didn't have another 50 cents. <laughs> I stopped out on the street and turned on my lights, you know, flashing there. And I got out and ran in the rain over there to the toll booth where I, I had gone through earlier. And uh, the same guy was there. And I ran up there, you know, and got underneath there out of the rain. And I said, sir, I've come to give you the 50 cents. I said, I'm sorry I'm so late, but I got home and had to go to the hospital and a bunch of stuff. And thank you for letting me go on through. And he said, uh, oh, that's okay, Brother Fanning. I see you on television all the time. And I knew you'd come back and pay me. I got back to my car, I sat there. Do you know how you feel sometimes when you nearly have an automobile accident and your whole body just kind of goes weak? <laughs> I got back there and I thought, I sat there for a moment. And I said, Judas did it for 30 pieces of silver and I nearly did it for 50 cents. Still as of old, Men by themselves are priced. Judas 
for 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. When we reject Christ, you know who we reject? We reject ourselves. We reject all that he came to do and to be in our lives. We reject joy. We reject peace. We reject forgiveness. When we reject him, we're the victims. When we deny him, we deny ourselves. We deny who we are, who we were created to be. And who we we have been recreated to be. In Christ. Came to give us new actions. New attitudes. New life. All based upon new light. Energizing our hearts and our lives. In him was life. And that life was the light of life. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. I urge you today not to reject him, for in so doing, you're rejecting the greatest gift you could ever receive. Go ahead and open the package. Go ahead and open the gift God has given you. Don't postpone it. Don't wait till you feel like you deserve it. You'll never open it, for you'll never deserve it. It's a gift. It's not a payment for doing good things. It's a gift for believing it and trusting it. Would you come be a part of this church and help us make it a more encouraging place, a more positive place, a more loving place, a more caring place, a more sharing place? Or to come in rededication of your life. To come to say, I just need to get my life back in tune with God and I want to make a public declaration of that fact. You may want to go back to your seat or stay, fine. You may want to come by yourself and kneel, not say a word to me, but talk to God, which is vastly more important. Come kneel and pray, return to your seat. Whatever God's invitation is, I extend it in his behalf. And in Jesus' name, I invite you to open the gift he's given you. Light for living today and tomorrow and forever. I'll be right here. Come join me. Let's stand and let's sing.